us quite simply that Jesus suffered to save us. Jesus suffered to save us. He suffered for you and for me because God loves us enough to give us what we need irrespective of if we want it or not. It's so hard to watch someone you love struggle through difficult things. You'd do whatever you could to ease their pain. Well, as you'll hear today, that's exactly what God did for us. Pastor Daniel reminds you that God saw your struggle, your separation from Him, and He sent Jesus to rescue you. You'll learn that Jesus suffered greatly to save you, even before you knew you wanted. He loved you enough to give you what you needed. Now, Here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Psalms, chapter 22, as he continues his message with arms wide open. Now, as we move into verse 6 through verse 21, we're going to see what is maybe the most descriptive example of what crucifixion looks like. The Psalm of David was written about a thousand years before Christ and long before the Roman capital punishment of crucifixion was even being practiced. Now, if you're in here today and you are skeptical, you're like, you know, I don't really know about this whole Christianity thing. I get where you're coming from because I I wasn't raised with this stuff. It wasn't part of um, my upbringing. And I remember just being like, oh, you know, that whole Christianity thing. I mean, what's the big deal? You know, like, come on. Like, are we really going to take this 2,000-year-old mythical figure real seriously? You know, and it's really easy because you get educated that way, whether it's in school. If you go to college, you even get that further along where it's kind of like, this is just a bunch of, you know, it's it's just stories. It's for an uneducated people who don't really understand the way the world works. You know, and it's really easy just to dismiss it. But there's nothing worse than when you dismiss things based on bad information. It's like saying you don't like a band and you've actually never heard them. I've shared this story before. I remember growing up, you know, my, my friends got into a band called Fish with a PH. They were like the, the better than the Grateful Dead from the East Coast. Right? And I remember my friends were all going to these Fish concerts and I thought to myself, I mean, what a corny name, Fish with a PH. I mean, seriously, this is what we've come to? And, and all my friends were going, and I just wanted to be contrary. So I'm like, oh, man, I don't like fish. But I never actually heard them before. And I remember one day I'm at my friend's house, and, I'm, and you know, as a musician, there's this music on, and I'm just like, just kind of bobbing my head to him. I'm like, man, this is really good. And then they, they, the, the whole section of the music changed, and these guys were just, you know, they were jamming. They were just wailing. They were in it. And I'm just like, wow, this is really awesome. What is this? And they were like, oh, man, it's fish. I thought you don't like them. I'm like, yeah, I don't. There's nothing worse than making a decision about something when you've never actually experienced it or tried it. It doesn't make much sense. So I remember thinking, oh yeah, this whole Jesus dying on a cross thing. I mean, how, I mean, can it get any weirder than that? 
And when you, you think about someone wearing a cross, I'm not against it. But, could, you know, you wearing a cross, it'd be like walking around if you're wearing like an electric chair necklace. Can you imagine if you went home to, to meet your spouse's parents, you got an electric chair, big old honking thing? They'd be like, uh, uh. wishing they had security in house. Security, get this guy out of here. But I mean, across, it was a capital punishment in the Roman Empire. It'd be like having a, a big lethal injection necklace. It was an instrument of death. Now, what we're going to read, this was written a thousand years before Jesus was even born. The Roman Empire did not become a major world empire till about 300 years before Christ. And if you're here today and you're skeptical about this stuff, you're going to have to think seriously about this. Because no event in the life of David is actually this. David is speaking about his own circumstances, but he's looking to something greater. So I'm going to read you verses 6 to 21, and then I'll explain it to you. Look at what it says. Psalm 22, verse 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This teaches us, quite simply, that Jesus suffered to save us. Jesus suffered to save us. He suffered for you and for me because God loves us enough to give us what we need, irrespective of if we want it or not. Jesus suffered to save us. Now, this description here, I want to give you some homework. Actually, you don't really, it's not really homework, it's good work. It's like a teacher, right? It's not really homework, it's good work. But for reference, I want you to look at the four passion accounts of your Bible. Each gospel has one. So Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. What is interesting is that in each one of the Gospels, each of the four Gospels, there is an account of Jesus on the cross. And it's amazing how powerfully they read parallel to this psalm that was written a thousand years before. 
how many things line up with the reality of what Jesus experienced. Look at what he says. He begins, he says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me and they shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Jesus was mocked. You can read it in Matthew 27, 39 to 44. Jesus is here being mocked by the people around him. He's saying, I'm a worm. He's saying, I'm helpless. I'm frail. I'm unwanted. He's being ridiculed by the people around him. Not only that, as we move into verse 12 and following, the psalmist starts to express the reality that when David looked around and when Jesus looked around, all they saw were enemies surrounded by bulls, surrounded by lions, surrounded by dogs. Now, I've never been in this kind of a situation. I've never been in the wilderness surrounded by a pack of hungry animals who are looking at me and saying, mmm, lunch. But that's exactly what Jesus experienced. There, hanging on the cross, put to open shame, being chided by the people around him. David is experiencing this and he's seeing what's going to go on in the life of Jesus. When people are looking, they're looking to ravage him, make fun of him. And then you get into this reality as it keeps going. In verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Doctors tell you about the way people died of crucifixion that this is a very vivid account because if you think about it, when someone has been nailed to a cross, doctors will tell you that you actually don't die from the nails. You actually die from asphyxiation, which what happens is as you're hanging on the cross, your body is actually kept up by your whole bone structure. When you're hanging there, everything starts to compress down. And so what happens is over time, the rib cage and the bone structure start to compress on the lungs. And at some point, the lungs give way. And that's why when they were, when they were nailed, they were nailed down like this. And what would happen is, is even with all the pain of the nails, they would get up enough energy to, to push their legs up to get air into the lungs. So the idea of my, my bones are all out of joint, that's literally what happened when someone was crucified. That thirst, and Jesus cries out in the Gospels, I thirst, I'm dried up like a potsherd, being beaten, hung there in a hot desert sun. I was just in Tucson, Arizona. And it was hot. I felt like a raisin. I didn't realize how moist I've become. I mean, try and imagine Jesus having been beaten that night before, nailed to a cross, hanging out in the hot desert sun. That's exactly what this is describing here. It's exactly what he's describing. Notice it, it says here as well, I can count all of my bones, it says. In verse 17, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. It's interesting that just like the Passover lamb, John carefully notes that they did not break Jesus' bones. Why? Because remember I told you? about you could push up on those legs and get air into your lungs. When they wanted to hasten someone's death on the cross, as the night was getting closer, they would break their legs so they couldn't get the air into the lungs anymore. 
But when they went to Jesus, he was already dead. John makes a very specific point of that. Why? Because the Passover lamb was meant to be perfect without any flaws or blemishes. None of Jesus' bones were broken. For his garments, they cast lots. I mean, this is like word for word right out of the New Testament. Or this is exactly what happened and David knew all this was going to happen. Not only that, I skipped over this on purpose. Look at what it says. Here, in verse 16, the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Wow. Long before. Decades before. Centuries before. Death by crucifixion was even on the map. It's the most brutal form of punishment. Now, some of your translations have, I was thrust through like a lion. I want to explain to you where that came from. Because I want to explain to you just a little bit about the Hebrew language and how translations happen to explain it. Now, the Hebrew language was written in all consonants. There was no vowels. And what's interesting is our English words have vowels in them. But if you actually look at the way the brain reads things, we actually don't read all the letters. Any of you seen online, there's like a paragraph and it's got no vowels in it, but if you read it, you understand exactly what it means. Anybody do that online? That's right. You guys are all internet gifted. Congratulations, gold star. How does that happen? Because what happens is, is nobody reads all the letters. What you, most people do is they read the first letter and the last letter and they can fill in what the whole word is based on context and what you already understand about the English language. Now, the Hebrew language was the exact same way. It was all consonants and people just read it and they knew exactly what the words were based on context. But in 70 AD, after the Romans had uh, destroyed Jerusalem, they had burned the temple down and the children of Israel were dispersed to the four winds of the globe about the 6th century in the Middle Ages, a group of people called the Masoretes said, look, we're not centralized. Hebrew is being spoken sporadically and we don't want to lose the scriptures. So they went through and they put all the vowels in. They call them vowel pointings. So if you look at a, mod, a, a Hebrew translation of the Bible now, it has all these dots around the main letters, the main characters. Those dots are vowel pointings put in 600 years later. And what's interesting is when the Masoretes went down to vowel point this verse... They didn't barrel point it as pierced. They said, thrust through like a lion. Now, I don't want to assume motive, but there is probably a good chance that seeing Christians using this verse as, a, as an evidence of the crucifixion of Jesus, it's unique that they chose not to translate it the same way that it had actually been translated. Remember I told you about the Hebrew going to the Greek? They used the word pierced. But six centuries after Christ, they chose not to translate it that way. So I, I wanted to bring that up because some of your translations don't have they pierced my hands and feet. But it is probably the most honest of translations of it. They pierced my hands and feet. Now, all of this shows us that Jesus suffered to save us. I know that there are some people in here, maybe listening online, listening in another venue of ours or on our mobile app. And you're here and you're honestly saying, well, I didn't want him to suffer for me. I don't believe it. I don't want it. I didn't ask for it. I want to tell you this because I understand the sentiment and I've felt that way before. But just as a parent loves their children and will do what's necessary for them, God is the same way. 
You may say, I, didn't, I don't want it. I didn't ask for it. You're right. None of us wanted it. None of us asked for it. But God said, you need this. This is the only way. I mean, think about the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus died. When he was there and he had his three of his apostles there. And he said to them, he said, listen, come and watch while I pray. And Jesus went over and said, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to get this done, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. He's saying, Father, if there is a way for humanity to come back to you, whether it's by just being a good old-fashioned good person, by uh, keeping the law of Moses that you gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, by voting based on a certain political preference that we think is going to save the world, or whatever your self-salvation plan is, if there's any other way, God, do that. It was so serious in the garden that Jesus started to sweat drops of blood. He, had, he was in such agony, his blood vessels were rupturing as he prayed. Just any other way. If people can get back to you, Lord, any other way, let's not do this. And less than 20 hours later, Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because there's no other way. There is no other way. Jesus suffered to save you and me, not because I wanted it, not because you asked for it, but because God loves you enough to do it on your behalf because there's no other way. There's no other way. This is the only way. That's why Jesus could say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. That is the most audacious and bold statement that's ever been uttered by somebody. And either Jesus is nuts or he's right. So you have to ask yourself this question. Will your self-salvation plan, whatever it is, will it actually get you to where you're trying to go to? Will it get you there? Because everybody has a self-salvation plan. Everybody does. Everybody has, if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to be okay. I'm here to tell you that if your self-salvation plan does not include the finished work of Jesus Christ, then it's not going to get you where you really want to go. It's not going to get you there. And you know that that's true because you've tried. I have people all the time who say, you know, Daniel, you believe in God and you trust in him. Well, I trust in the universe. I always say, man, trust in the universe? Have you watched Animal Planet lately? Don't trust in the universe. Darwin wasn't wrong when he said the survival of the fittest. I mean, you watch it. There's a caribou. And then there's like a grizzly bear. Or there's a caribou and there's a guy with a shotgun. That caribou, he could be, you know, he could trust in the universe. He's going to be dinner. That's trusting in the universe is trusting in a losing battle. Everything about nature shows us that trusting in the universe makes no sense. But trusting in a God who loves you enough to pay everything to bring you back. Now that makes sense. It makes sense. The cross of Jesus Christ is all about God loving you enough to do for you what you would want done for you if you knew what was at stake. 
It's about loving your neighbor as yourself. It's God looking at humanity and being like, if I was like them, I would want this done for me, so I'm going to do it. And for some of you in here today, you feel God tugging at your heart. You're like, man, I've been on a self-salvation plan. By the time this service is over, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. Just say, okay, you suffered for me. Okay. Okay. Thank you. And it'll be the best decision you've ever made. And you'll live every single day of your life responding to that again and again and again. Because God loves you enough not to give you what you want, but to give you what you need. That's how a good parent functions. I love my kids. My kids are fun as all get out. And my kids would love for me to give them ice cream for breakfast. And you know what? I want ice cream for breakfast too. Right? I mean, that's a great way to start a day, right? But I love my kids enough, and so does my wife, not just to give them ice cream for breakfast. We don't want them to go into a sugar coma before eight. We love their teachers enough not to want to send them in all kind of amped up and crazy. I know probably Donna Evans is in here like, praise God, Pastor Daniel, because my boy's got energy without the sugar. But you love your kids enough to do for them what needs to be done, even if they don't understand it or like it. And that's exactly what God has done for you. Whether or not you understand it or even like it, he who created you said you need this. He loves you enough to do that for you, whether or not you wanted it done. And I'm grateful for that because none of us was asking for it. God was just doing it because that's how he rolls. That's how God rolls. Doing it for you. Doing what we cannot do ourselves. So Jesus suffered to save us. Now look at verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Right here it teaches us that God hears and acts. God hears and acts. Jesus is real. We've all had to do things we didn't want to do at times, but none have experienced the struggle Jesus felt the night before he died on the cross in our place. Today, Pastor Daniel reminded you of the anguish Jesus experienced in the hours leading up to his death. You learned that he begged God to take this responsibility, but he knew there was no other way. So before you wanted it or asked for it, Jesus loved you enough to do this for you. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. 
I want to know that you did it, though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share that great suffering can give way to overwhelming praise. As you continue in this study of Psalm 22, you'll notice that David transitions from a focus on his struggles to thinking about who God is and what he's done. Pastor Daniel will explain that because God is real, he answers. Like David, you can praise God in the midst of your struggles because he's faithful, trustworthy, and present. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called The Top Ten. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.